You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The film we are here to discuss is Army of the Dead. Oh, you got It just came out in theaters on a limited release a couple weeks ago, and just last week, it came out on Netflix. I happen to see it in theaters. Army of the Dead was directed by Zack Snyder, and it stars, and bear with me as some of these names I might not get right, it stars Dave Bautista, Ella Purnell, Omari Hardwick, Anna De La Reguera, Matthias Schweighofer, Nora Arnazeder, Hiroyuki Sanada, Garrett Delahunt, Tig Nataro. Raul Castillo, Huma Qureshi, and Samantha Wynn. And bear with me if I got any of those names wrong. If I had to pick the genre, it's actually pretty simple. This is an action horror zombie epic. It's a zombie movie, and I like zombie movies. So let me start things off by first saying that I know it sounds a little nutty to say this for a gore-filled action horror epic, which mainly focuses on a ragtag crew of mercenaries who are trying to take $200 million out of a zombie-infested Las Vegas. But this might be the most mature film Zack Snyder has ever directed. Just to give you some background, I have a mixed history with Zack Snyder. I'm not a fan of all of his movies, but I did actually really enjoy his remake of Dawn of the Dead, which came out in 2004. And I would probably say that was probably my favorite Zack Snyder film. So let's go back to Army of the Dead now. This film is probably at least 25 minutes too long, but strangely, the length is not due to the typical overindulgences of other Zack Snyder joints. And those indulgences would be the following. Excessive slow-mo, destruction porn, extended fight sequences that wear out their welcome, nor any of the nightmare imagery which has zero to do with the rest of the movie. And I feel like one movie that this was the most guilty of was probably Batman v Superman. No, actually, the content that pads out this movie a bit They're the emotional beats, the generally thoughtful character stuff. Now, just for perspective, we're not talking about character-based stuff on the quality level of any of the major Lees. And when I say major Lees, I mean the big three, Spike, Aang, and Mike. And I know it's Mike Lay, but that still counts. He's, you know, he's British. But it's still generally well-acted and well-scripted. And Zack Snyder, who not only directed this, but also co-wrote it, he also worked as the director of photography. He allows his characters to breathe a bit for a change. Even if you can believe this, his zombies. Even though actually technically can zombies breathe? I'm not sure. But there are no shortage of moments when both the living and the undead characters in this film are just allowed to feel. That's right, feel. Now this might come off as me mocking it, but I'm not. It's just a very distinctive choice, which I can respect on Zack Snyder's part. That said, does it always work? Well... I'll throw out a couple of potential examples for you 
in two older films, which I would consider two of the premier genre films that this would compare to. So for these two examples, we'll pick out two of my favorite films in this genre, the action horror genre, if you will. One of them, let's say Aliens. If you've seen the movie Aliens, you might know what I'm talking about. Let's say about halfway through the movie Aliens, the story suddenly takes a 40-second, even let's say a minute aside with Bill Paxton's Hudson. You know, game over, man. That's what he said. Man, game over, man. It's game over. He's just alone and crying. He's realizing that he's lost most of his friends and that he's not likely to make it 16 more days to be rescued. He's pretty much shattered at this point. And the camera lingers on him crying. Now, let's say another example. Predator. Let's say two-thirds of the way through the movie Predator, the camera stays on the Predator's mask-covered face for about a minute as he admires his new trophies, but his smile starts to drop. And he gradually starts to feel more dread as he realizes that the one human he has truly come to like and respect, and that would be Dutch, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, that this human is out there planning to kill him, and that he might actually have to kill Dutch. This greatly saddens the Predator. And he's genuinely torn up about it. And we see this all visualized. What the hell are you? Now, if, if you've seen either of those films, and if you feel that either of those moments that I just speculated, if you will, if they would have been added to your enjoyment of those movies, then you might not just respect, but you might love what Zack Snyder has done with this movie. But for me personally... Look, I'm as appreciative as anyone for wringing emotion out of a wild situation like this, but it just didn't always work. Now, when the camera is on our star, Dave Bautista, it does work. He is genuinely good in this movie. And besides handling those emotional beats well, he's a fiercely committed and entertaining action hero. <laughs> is there anybody else here who hasn't killed a zombie? Well, we all know the basics. Zombies, shamblers, the undead, whatever you want to call them. When it comes to killing them, it's all about the brain. brain. If one comes at you, shoot it in the brain. It's that simple. Any questions? The suspense and action set pieces in this are genuinely impressive. They're really well staged. Now, you would think that after 10 years of The Walking Dead, and just for context, I used to be an avid fan of The Walking Dead until that Glenn Dumpster incident. We'll leave it at that. But you would think after all this time with The Walking Dead that every conceivable scenario involving hordes of zombies would have been explored. Well, Snyder smartly takes full advantage of both the casino settings and the dark corridors of abandoned hotels to create some new inventive ones involving zombies. One standout sequence, I would have to say, involves our crew of would-be thieves. They're slowly working their way through the dark rooms of, quote, hibernating zombies. And they're quietly maneuvering through mazes of undead who are just standing there at attention. And these people only have glow sticks to guide them. Suddenly... One of our characters, Chambers, who's played really well with some effective action chops by Samantha Wynn, she finds herself surrounded by undead that are suddenly waking up. And she has to carve her way up through them, close up with a survival knife. She's always going for the head, of course, Zombie 101. And the sequence just builds nicely until it culminates with a moment when the others find her, which genuinely had me fist pumping in excitement. And this film has a lot of good moments along those lines. As a pure action horror film, it delivers all the excitement you could want all the way through the climax, which does lift a bit from Aliens, if we're being honest. But hey, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. The makeup and visual effects work for the undead in this film is next level stuff. There are zombie showgirls, and there's zombie Elvises, there's a zombie horse, and there's a zombie tiger. That's right, a zombie tiger, which is perfectly realized. 
The film has the setup for a caper movie, and that aspect of the film is also generally handled well. Our safecracker Dieter, who is charmingly played by Matthias Schweighofer, I love that I could say his name, he has some funny moments bonding with the zombie-killing muscle named Vanderho, who's also nicely played by Omari Hardwick. I got the bride. I got the bride. I shot it three times. Actually, it was four. Four. <laughs> Woo! Ah, not zombie-killing material, my ass, Mr. Vanderho. Characters like theirs are sometimes blatantly used for comic relief, but they never wear out their welcome. But now taking us full circle, this brings me to the aspect of this film that did wear out its welcome. And it's those emoting zombies. Now, the idea of zombies who feel and or have feelings for other zombies, it's a nifty one in theory. I gotta say, it's nifty. It's unique. But in practice, in this film, it's overused. And it genuinely pads the movie. It feels like there is just scene after scene after scene of the camera just following one of our zombies off to the side as they react to this incoming threatening band of living humans who are hoarding in on their territory. These zombies, they cry, they rage, they conspire. Well, I think because they're never actually talking. But it just becomes too much. Because at the end of the day, how much can you really care about an undead version of someone you don't know without any context? I mean, maybe you could isolate some of the melancholy zombie footage, stick it in a commercial with a sad melody of Sarah McLachlan's In the Arms of an Angel, playing over it. Maybe there wouldn't be a dry eye in the house, and maybe there'd probably be millions in donations that might follow afterwards. But it's just not necessary here to the extent that it's used. In the arms of a zombie. So overall, this was a noble effort by Zack Snyder. And it's still very entertaining for most of its runtime. And after this and his recent cut of Justice League, he's headed in the right direction. And he possibly even has a truly great genre movie in him to rival a Predator, Aliens, or The Thing. Seriously, Snyder has the directing chops to pull off something like those films. In my opinion, he just needs... Now, take a deep breath here, Snyder bros. For what I'm about to say, be warned. What I think Zack Snyder really just needs is a strong-willed producer or studio to rein him in a bit. I know, crazy idea, I know. <laughs> but that's right. Someone like a Scott Rudin or Joel Silver in his heyday. Joel Silver produced the Die Hard and Lethal Weapon movies, just for context. Scott Rudin, he's produced like award-winning films like The Social Network. Someone strong, a strong-willed producer, who's going to give Snyder the toys that he needs and the leeway to push the envelope a bit when it comes to stretching what can be accomplished on screen but also someone that makes sure he keeps the story and the tone focused and under two hours. That's very important, under two hours. His last two films, Snyder's last two films, have taken him in a more thoughtful direction, and I dig that. They just need to be tighter. Oh, and for the record, this is playing on Netflix, but I saw it in the theater and it looks great. So you could see it on Netflix, but I would advise you to see it on the big screen if you can. And now that brings us to the categories, the awards. The first category is Best Needle Drop. This would be the best song cue or the best piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. As I've said before, music is very essential to film. And now, even in films of his that I haven't enjoyed as much, from Zack Snyder, I've always appreciated his opening credit sequences. He often uses them to tell many stories set to a classic pop song, as he did probably most famously with The Watchmen. And he does that again to great effect with a six-minute opening montage of the zombies taking over Vegas to an extended cover of Viva Las Vegas, sung by Richard Cheese and Alison Crow. 
The song starts out peppy and becomes more melancholy as it progresses. It's genuinely a standout sequence, and it's the great use of a needle drop. The next category would be wasted talent. Now, this would be the most underutilized person or people or talent involved with the film. This is a strange one for me, but just bear with me. If I had to pick wasted talent, Netflix. That's right, Netflix. The company which has revolutionized how people watch movies and TV series over the past 15 years. Netflix is apparently spending more than $10 billion per year. That's right, $10 billion per year creating content. And it's really nice that they're giving top-flight auteurs like Martin Scorsese or Alfonso Cuaron the massive budgets and creative freedom to direct the films they want. That's why a couple of years ago, Scorsese's The Irishman was more than three and a half hours long. But therein lies the rub. Did it have to be three and a half hours long? Now, I'm a huge Scorsese fan, and we'll get into that in a separate review. And The Irishman was a good movie, but it could have been significantly better if it was pared down a bit. And the same goes for Army of the Dead. Relax, I'm not comparing Snyder to Scorsese as directors by any stretch. Actually, the fact that a studio was willing to plunk down more than $90 million, that was the budget for this, more than $90 million to Zack Snyder to make a hard R-rated zombie epic, very cool. But why not have some creative control to make it a more palatable movie? This goes back to my thinking that genre directors like Snyder, they need the money men to rein them in a bit sometimes. And why can't Netflix do that? Netflix has the power. They're currently the biggest content creator on the planet right now. There wasn't anyone behind the scenes there who just said at one point during the production of this movie, hey guys, does a zombie movie really need to be 150 minutes? My point being that with all the money it's throwing around right now, I would not mind Netflix flexing their muscles a little bit more with filmmakers to make tighter movies. So Netflix is the waste of talent. The next category would be trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes the film. If you're going to sell this film, this is what you show them. Very simple. The first appearance of the zombie tiger. Come on. Zombie tiger. Enough said. There's a goddamn zombie tiger. That's crossing the line. And now the final category would be MVP. This is the person or people most responsible for the success of this film or its failure. And the MVP has to go to Zack Snyder. He's returning to the genre that I feel resulted in what I still think is his best movie overall, his 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. Extreme horror and action, that's his lane, and that's where I want to keep him moving forward. Though Army of the Dead was flawed, I still really enjoyed watching Snyder returning to do what he does best. He has, as a filmmaker, he has R-rated fatalistic sensibilities, and they just work better for zombies than they do for Superman. So welcome back, Zach. Now, if I had to rate this film, I would rate it three and a half out of five stars. I liked this film. And as I said before, it's on Netflix, but I would recommend seeing it in theaters if you can. And that ends this episode of Living for the Cinema. Cinema.